everybody, and welcome to Save Your Sorry, the podcast where we talk about the rise and fall of your favorite, or rather, least favorite celebrities. I'm your host, Katrina Rochelle, here with my best friend and co-host, Jose Angel. I think that is my favorite intro. <laughs> yeah. How are you? I am doing great. How are you doing? After our I- break. Yes, yes, I am rejuvenated and galvanized, <laughs> as they say. And I'm sick, so if my voice sounds a little nasally, that's why. Yes, he's sick of y'all shit. <laughs> I'm, just... <laughs> I'm sorry you're sick. That sucks to come back on a sick note, but you're here. We are here, and before we begin, I do want to give a quick update on Danny Masterson. Danny, as you know, was convicted on two counts of rape, and he has now been sentenced to 30 years to life in prison. I feel like this is a major win for the woman he attacked, but how do you feel about the sentence? Is it fair? You feel justified? It feels justified, at least. Um, We could always add more years. We could always (laughs) pack them measures, you know. You could always do more, of course, of course. But 30 years is, I think, a good sentence for what he was charged with. Um, I hope the women think that this this sentence is acceptable and they feel justified. And everything they went through to get this sentence and to get him finally locked up... um, I am disappointed because you know some things came out, you know. You know his homeboys was writing letters for his nasty ass. So I shouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I shouldn't be surprised that Ashton and Mila were, of course, supporting him, just like uh, old Laura in the story. Mm. But it's a little disappointing. It's disgusting. It's not just a little disappointing. It's disgusting. Yeah, especially parents of daughters. Yeah. Ashton, and I don't know if if she's in it too, but I know he like has an organization that works with like trafficked women. Like that's a slap in the face to all of them. How do you have that organization and you're supporting a rapist talking about what about their child? Oh, I I agree. It's very uh, hypocritical, very, it, it just shows the true colors. You support and you, this charitable cause, this very important charitable cause. But when it's your friend, who is basically being accused of crimes, horrific crimes against women, is like, eh, I'm more on let me get my friend freed side than anything else. Not staying neutral, not kind of advocating for victims or just the truth or not saying anything. But, you know, it's one of those things. Celebrities are going to be celebrities. They're going to assume that they shouldn't face the full extent of the law because they're good people who were on camera for a little bit. He wrote in his statement how he believes Danny is no longer going to be harmed to society and talks about how it would be an injustice for his daughter to be raised without a father. And again, peace and love to that child, but her father is a rapist and she is better off without him in her life. I agree. I agree. And I also is such a cop out to mentioned children. This man was doing his crimes before he had his children. And that's, I mean, it is what it is. He has to pay for the crimes that he committed. I don't care that you became a parent. It's sad, but sometimes also they use their children as scapegoats too. Shit. How am I supposed to know you're taking care of this child anyway? How do I know this child wouldn't maybe become a victim of your disgusting behavior or a victim of the consequences of your disgusting behavior? You already screwed them up. So at least let them live a life without you because you're a criminal who rapes women. So, I mean, of that's the real crime. I'm sorry. It's a crime that the the child doesn't grow up with her father. It's also a crime what he did against all those many women and tried to hide and conceal it for all these years and use intimidation factors and all this other shit. That's that's the real crime. I agree. I agree. Do you have anything else to add about Danny? Uh, No, I think I'm good on Danny. Um, I don't expect to hear from forever. I mean, he probably won't die in yeah, of course. Yeah, they're going to exhaust all the appeals because that's, I wouldn't, I would, what's the word? Uh, What's the phrase? Uh, I would not, uh, I wouldn't expect, what the fuck am I trying to say? <laughs> fuck whatever I'm trying to say. The point is that I expect appeals. <laughs> <laughs> I expect appeals. Probably not going to die in prison, of course, because he is relatively young. Uh, But well, we I can better help. not, I, if my ass is still alive, 30 years. Uh, 
if he does most of the 30, which who knows with him, um, I don't know what state it is and what their law says about doing half good behavior, 85, most, whatever. But if I am like 60, 70, when this man gets out, he better not be in a goddamn thing. I'm not no Hallmark movie, uh, not on C-SPAN. This, this, this bitch better get out and be in a cottage somewhere. Because I'm tired of people coming out and just getting all their fame and money and being everywhere. Like OJ Simpson, somehow seeing OJ Simpson on social media pisses me off. Mm, yeah. Like, bruh, you got out of the little sentence. You still should be in prison for the big thing, but we ain't going to talk about that. Yeah. You want to sit there and talk about other people's cases. Set your ass down. Be lucky you alive and free. Uh-huh. Fucking Bronco ride, motherfucker. <laughs> we have to cover him one day. I did not know you were this heated about OJ. Some I was only heated when this man would not shut up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you got out. Kudos to you, whatever. But damn, you always got to chime in on somebody else's stuff. Stop acting like you didn't allegedly slaughter two people. Mm. But I'm sorry. That's for another day. That's for another day. So something that happened recently that we would not be discussing but made me choose this topic was family vlogger, eight passengers. Did you hear about this? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, the mother, Ruby Frank, and her business partner, Jody Hildenbrandt, being arrested for child abuse. To very briefly go over what led to the arrest, because I would want to cover them one day mm-hmm. once we get more information is one of their children was able to escape from a window to go to a neighbor's house and ask for food and water. The child was found with duct tape around his ankles and lacerations from rope burns having been tied to the bed. And this is still a developing story, but it made me think of another very sad and devastating story. And that is the story of the Hart family. (gasps) And the Hart family were not famous in the traditional sense. And most people only know one of them. And that would be Devante Hart. Uh-huh. Do, do you know about this story? I unfortunately do. Yeah. So it's going to be very filled with abuse and it's a very heavy topic. So if this is not the episode for you listeners, you know, you can sit this one out. Sorry about this comeback episode, y'all. Yeah. <laughs> Just try to teach the world. <laughs> so Devante Hart was seen in a, in a November 25th, 2014 photo. He was a 12-year-old black boy hugging a white police officer in a protest over the killing of Michael Brown Jr. by the police. And in the photo, Devante is seen crying and holding a free hug sign while hugging the police officer. And a lot of people refer to it as the hug felt around the world. White people say that. Yeah. (laughs) Just so you know. Uh, Asterisk, white people call that. That. Not, Not black people. Mainly the Caucasian Americans, yes. So this photo seems to resurface any time police brutality is in the news again as a way of saying, let's put all this aside and, you know, hug it out. But not all is what it seems with this photo, because just four years later, on March 26, 2018, the two mothers, Jen and Sarah, along with three of their six adoptive children, Marcus, 19, Jeremiah, 14, Abigail, 14, were all found in their GMC Yukon XL in Mendocino County in California at the bottom of a a 100-foot cliff they had driven off. And I believe they landed in the water, but the current pushed it back onto the shore. So it's very, you know, we get that picture of them, and the next time we kind of really hear them about them again in the public is when the mother and three of the children are discovered dead. Uh So in between there, um, we're going to get some background so Jennifer was born June 4th, 1979, and Sarah was born April 8th, 1979. They had both been from South Dakota, meeting at Northern State University. And they are both white women, which is important to the story. Where are the white women at? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that, that took me out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, white, I watched white chicks earlier. <laughs> yeah, we, we need that little humor before we get into it. And they 
Both majored in elementary education. Sarah would be the only one to graduate. Her major also focused on special education, and that was in 2002. Something odd is that starting in 2001 and over the years, Jen and Sarah start going no contact with their families. In 2001, Jen and her father had a disagreement. Jen claims it was over her being in a relationship with a woman. And her father denies this, saying he never even knew about her being in a relationship until later. And Jen's brother, Jonathan, would also, who also lost contact with Jen in 2010, says that would have not been the case since he was openly gay and his parents never had a problem with him. Mm, okay. Interesting. One yeah. of those things where you frame your family as being like bigots and, and intolerable, but they're like, wait, no, bitch, it's because you borrowed a $1,000 and didn't pay us back. Yeah, it, we don't really know what the reason was for because, you know, we're asking this after their death, so the family's not really speaking that much. Mm-hmm. And Sarah's side said pretty much the same. Her sexuality had nothing to do with it, and it was Sarah who decided to cut off contact. In 2005, Sarah would get her last name changed to Hart to match Jen's last name. They would get married in 2009 in Connecticut, since it wasn't legal throughout the country yet, which is so wild to think of. That's not that long ago. Yeah, that is crazy. We're so dumb. In 2004, they moved to Alexandria, Minnesota, where they worked at a store called Herberters. And I'll tell you, lesbians be doing so much. I mean, they didn't name it, but still. <laughs> Not you go work at the place called Herbergers. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. And this is around the time they started to foster a child. And it was a 15-year-old girl who has chosen to remain anonymous. Jordan Smith, a woman who worked with Jen and Sarah when she was 19, says the two women would tell her the 15-year-old girl ate out of the trash and that she was awful and difficult. Okay. And Jordan, looking back at it, it doesn't seem like they were saying this out of concern, but more of a mean girl way of talking about her. Jordan says one day they decided to bring the girl in to get her makeup done. You know, some stories offer that. Yeah. And Jordan would be the one doing it. And it sounded like a fun idea. Jordan says she could tell the girl did not want to be there and that she tried to make conversation with her, but Jen would interrupt and answer for her Ah, trying to keep shit under wraps you can't really meet nobody or talk to nobody alone can't no can't nobody know the real situation yeah anytime it's like someone keeps answering for you it's like a little odd it was 100 odd if you can talk and you're able-bodied and somebody is talking for you consistently i'm thinking abusive relationship i'm thinking um heavily manipulated want somebody under their control because there's no reason that you would be talking for somebody else who can talk jen said you know the girl just doesn't talk much and jordan says both women seemed very annoyed about the situation like they were doing her such a huge favor bringing her in on their day off and she wasn't grateful and Jordan felt bad for the girl. The girl would later tell the Seattle Times that she was a tomboy back then. So mm. She didn't really care for the makeover. And that she never ate out of the garbage. I can see her denying the garbage thing, even if it was true. Like, yeah. you know, if you have resorted to doing that, that's not something you want out there for everyone to know. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like weird to begin with, like, you're fostering this kid and you're just like telling everyone, oh, she eats out the garbage. And, and and from your statement and the story, it seems like she had her own personal style and they were trying to push her to be the person they wanted her to be. And they were mad that she wasn't all for it. Yeah. Like, let's give you this makeover, but she doesn't really want it. Exactly. And it's ironic coming from two lesbians who don't like when people don't like them. <laughs> That's true. And the plan for adoption soon started to form, and they included the foster child in these plans, even saying she would stay with them after she turned 18. And before the adoption was completed, Jen and Sarah dropped her off at a therapist's office, where the therapist broke the news to her that she would be moved to a different foster family and her belongings were already there. Ugh, y'all are disgusting. Ugh, no. Yeah, I know not all foster situations are permanent, but just the cruelty of making all these like little plans with her and then dropping her off without notice is so fucked up. Like, even if 
you're like, yeah, you're still her home technically. So she's thinking that she's a part of this future when in reality, y'all were setting her up for the okie doke. And then her last time seeing you, she doesn't even know it's her last time seeing you. And you've already arranged for her stuff to be somewhere else. Therefore, already putting in her mind that, oh, y'all were lying to her the whole time. This was never real. It was always fake. These people were lying. That's fucking traumatizing right there. Not even all the other stuff she's already been through as being a foster child. But literally... Just that snippet of her life is traumatizing as hell to be in a home and then be abandoned just like that when there were so many future plans that you were supposedly being brought in. Yeah, it's just it's it shows the start of a pattern of cruelty with these women. Lord, I mean, I knew some of the story, but I didn't know about this part of the story. So I didn't know anything about this. So, in 2006, Jen and Sarah would finalize the adoption of three siblings, Marcus, who was seven, Hannah, who was four, and Abigail, who was two. And I've seen all three children described as Black, but I've also seen Marcus described as Hispanic, so he might be mixed or Hispanic. Yeah, I've heard that he was the lighter one of all of them, so that could be possible. But yeah, I've definitely heard of him mostly being described as Black as well, possibly. Yeah, looking at the photos, he does look Hispanic and he is the lightest out of all of them, but you know, he could be mixed or just Hispanic, I don't know. Jen was very active on Facebook and posting the kids with very lengthy posts. You know, these posts that I've seen are always like trying to be inspirational, but they are kind of like, woe is me, look what I have taken upon. Mm-hmm. Like one post that she puts on there on the 10-year anniversary of their adoption includes quotes like, all the challenges a lesbian couple trying to break through barriers in a rural community in Minnesota and talks about the first 12 hours and how the oldest banged his head on the wall over a tipsy roll, the youngest urinating everywhere, the middle child choking on food from gorging themselves so much and then wiping feces all over the wall. I'm sure the first 12 hours with three kids would be rough, but it's the constant post of always referring to them as Drug babies, developmental delayed, and high-risk kids. And, and painting the- yourself as the golden fucking couple. You yes. fucking trash bag human beings. And, you know, they're these white saviors of these little black kids. And mm-hmm. it's very self-congratulatory of, look what we did. Aren't we great? I agree, yeah. So in 2008, they adopt three more siblings, this being Devante, Jeremiah, and Sierra. Their mom, their bio mom had a drug problem and had lost custody. So they were living with their aunt Priscilla. Priscilla wanted the kids to stay with family, so she had taken them in. When she was at work, her daughter allowed their bio mom to visit. I've seen it reported as unsupervised, but I don't know if that means she was alone with the kids or just not anyone officially like from Child Protective Services was watching. Mm-hmm. The bio mom was not allowed. So Priscilla does lose custody of the kids and the kids are taken from Texas to Minnesota. Yeah, that sucks, man. And Especially because they were originally with family. Yeah, they were with family. The, the documentary I watched called Broken Hearts had a person on there talking about how the Texas like Child Protective Services goals like at first put them with family. Mm-hmm. So just to, like, move them so far away for that mistake. Yeah, Texas to Minnesota is not no fucking joke. It's kind of crazy now that I think about that. That Yeah, why did they move them so far? Yeah. And, yeah, because these two women were interested in them. So it's like, how long were they interested in them? I'm sorry. Some things are just not acceptable. And I'm going to tell you this. In every state, there are so many children that need to be adopted in every state. If you are not a resident of that state, you should not be going across state lines to take care of children for a multitude of reasons. Because of family roots, because of their cultural and what they have developed in that time in that area and state of them being familiar with that area and state. And three, Why, as an adult seeking to parent a child who has no parents, do you need to go across state lines to find a child in need? What are your motivations 
to find a child to take children that live in Texas back to Minnesota when you don't reside in Texas? What is the point? What is what do they give you that you don't have? That's weird to me. Yeah, and at first it was a six month trial period, and then it does become permanent. And we will see later that the heart seemed to get more passes with child protective services than their biological aunt did. Mm-hmm. And the documentary also raises the question of, is it because they were what seemed as two well-put-together white women? I I don't know. Like it, something These white women wouldn't get all these Black children and do them wrong, would they? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they would never do that. I mean, the people who, like, came forward and reported these women to CPS over the years, they always say the same thing, like, oh, they... They would never do that. They seem to have it all. It's they seem so um, good, so persuasive. Mm-hmm. So people say that Jen mainly posted about Devante and the posts that had other kids in it. It was the kids doing something with Devante. Okay. Which I don't know if the Facebook page is still up. I couldn't find it, but it it might be. But I don't know. Um, these two women and six kids would go to festivals and they would all dress up. Usually Devante would have the free hug sign, but they had other signs, you know, that said spread peace and kindness and kind of like, you know, hippie, peaceful lifestyle things they were pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And just talk about living in an alternative lifestyle and s- stuff like that. I feel like very clout driven. I feel it, yes, it was very clout-driven on Facebook. I feel like this is kind of before the family vlogs was forming, and it was more about blogs. And I think that's what Jen was trying to do, like push out this narrative of, look at me with my six children and my lesbian wife and how we are changing the world together. Mm-hmm. And friends who attended these festivals described these kids as nice, but seemed to be very organized by Jen. And neighbors have said that when... The children would walk into the home. They would walk into a, in a single file line, which is weird for kids, but they were like, maybe they're just well-behaved. So the first documented sign of abuse was on September 19, 2008, which I don't know when they officially got adopted, the Devante's set of siblings, uh-huh. but that was in 2008 as well. So it was, oh. it, it was not long after. Uh-huh. So Hannah, who was six at the time, showed to school with a bruise on her arm. It was enough to raise suspicion. And when Jen and Sarah were asked, they claimed she fell down eight stairs, which is a very specific number of stairs. And Hannah had told a teacher she was hit with a belt. CPS does investigate, but there is no evidence and the case is closed. And two months later, Hannah, Devante, and Marcus were withdrawn from school and were homeschooled. And that's what I was like... Why that's the 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 bruise is the first red flag. Them getting all taken out of school is the second, third, and fourth biggest red flag. Yes. I don't know if it was a requirement or just a suggestion from the adoption agency, but the kids would be enrolled back into school. And in November 2010, another report to social services happens, this time for Abigail who was in the first grade and was stealing other classmates' food and going into garbage for scraps. And then she told her teachers that she had owies on her stomach caused by Jen. It was discovered that Abigail had bruises from her sternum to her waistband and also bruising from her mid-back to her upper butt. Mm-hmm. So many people failed the people. I mean, these children. Like, common sense. These are not common bruises from any type of discipline, like actual discipline that is not abusive. Why are you getting beat on the front of your body? Your sternum to the waistband? Your stomach? Uh -uh. Uh-uh. There's no, no fucking reason. Even though Abigail claimed it was Jen, Sarah is the one who said she did it, saying they had found a penny in Abigail's pocket and were angry because they thought she stole it and didn't believe that she had just found it. Sarah claimed she spanked her, having bent her over the tub, causing the bruising on the front of her body, and the spanking got out of control. Abigail also told teachers they had put her head under cold water and Jen had two hands on her neck. Yeah, these, this, like, 
there, there is no convincing me, none whatsoever, 100%. I don't care what anybody says, no race card, all that bullshit. Fuck that. These kids got to stay with these abusive parents because they were black kids. So they should have been grateful that they were adopted and they were out of the system. And these were well-to-do white girls, 100%. When you hear that explanation as an adult, that that is not that does not make any sense um that is not how you discipline somebody as well as that is far more excessive force than you would ever need to use on a small child over a fucking penny these 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 women told you that they found a penny in this girl's pocket they were mad cuz they assumed this girl stole a fucking penny where you could find anywhere and they beat this poor girl and then they beat her in all these innocuous places where you can't see and she reveals them and everybody thinks this is okay and we just keep going to regularly schedule program like these people I don't care I mean maybe the people who reported it they did care but after the reporting nobody else cared about these children nobody nobody who did the true investigation not the parents, not anybody else who was standing around watching this after they have been got, got gotten called on this many times. Because it makes no sense. Nobody should be getting disciplined for a penny, first of all, and nobody should be getting beat in a place where they cannot, it's not visible and it cannot be shown that this was a um, a proper way to discipline. Smacking some hands. Okay, I get a couple, maybe some bruises on some hands because children are small. It doesn't take too much. Uh, I'll accept maybe your ass is a little sore, but you got bruises and something uh, a child is describing as owies on the front of your body. They're not, yeah. they're eating out of the garbage. That's a sign that they're not getting enough food at home and they are that desperate, stealing food from other people. They're very quiet and they stay to themselves. They don't talk to anybody. They have a very military militarized way of entering and exiting the house and behaving in public the signs were all there people just didn't give a fuck and she said they held her head underwater like how is that <laughs> acceptable at any stage like how they were waterboarding her this is literally something that the government should is not even allowed to do to terrorists and they still do it and she was doing it to a child a little girl for a penny a she shouldn't have done it for nothing, but that penny thing is such a crazy, stupid, weird story that I don't know if that, like, I don't know if I'm amazed if she told this true story of why she abused this girl, or she thought that that story was good enough to use as the cover story to abuse this girl. Either which way, it shows they're not mentally fit to raise children. Exactly, 100%. The other kids also claimed they were often spanked and sent to their room without food. It's speculated the reason Sarah took the blame for this was because Jen was the one who had officially adopted the kids and received the monthly assistance from adopting kids out of the foster care, which was 50% of their income since Jen was no longer working. Yeah, they know how to work the system. And even worse, the system is letting them do it. If if somebody is living with somebody who has adopted children, who has foster children, they should be held to the same standards. They're in the house. They're around the children. It can't be um, avoided. So it doesn't matter who admitted it. The children should have been taken out immediately. In fact, it should have been more of a cause for concern that the parent, no, the partner of the quote unquote parent is the one doing all this. Because that means yeah. that the parent really doesn't care or is allowing this to be done. I mean, like I said, the signs were there. They didn't care. In December 2010, Hannah, now in third grade, had a bruise on her hand. Hannah said Jen hit her because she lied and said Jen hits her all the time. Sarah would also get a call about Hannah asking people for food. And Sarah said she's playing the food card again. Give her water. Hannah also claimed after they called home to report her being hungry, Jen shoved a banana and some nuts in her mouth. So after a while, the school stopped calling them about them being hungry because it might cause them to get in trouble or punished. Um, the state would file charges against Sarah on April 7, 2011. She pled guilty to domestic assault and gets one-year probation and community service. 
the charge the charges of malicious punishment of a child were dropped even though there were six allegations of abuse from November 2010 to January 2011 which is such a short time period for six allegations of abuse exactly and the fact that even after this the fucking children were not removed from the home but what they were removed from was school 2 days before her court date on April 5th like i don't get it I just don't. If she's getting charged with this, but y'all are dropping it, I'm thinking, oh, we're going to drop it because we should get the kids out the goddamn house, maybe. Yeah. But no, we're going to drop it and we're going to let her keep the kids that she's allegedly abusing. Bruh. And you see, she's pulling her kids out of school. Like, that has to be a huge fucking red flag. Mm -hmm. They're like, no, it's cool. Everything's good. I'm guessing this is going to turn out great for us in the long run. Sarah would begin to look for work in Oregon and the family would move there. At this point, all the kids are below weight. Besides one, they have medical exams. And while they are below weight and height for their age, it's still in an okay level. And Jen and Sarah say it's because they are drug babies and have food issues and developmental delays, which might be true, but it's also true that they were not getting enough food. Nah, it's not true. Not at that case. Not when they were in their care that long. All that shit was caused by them. They were starving them children and abusing them children. And they were reaping all the benefits of cashing in them checks because them bitches wasn't hungry. June 18, 2013, Jen and the kids are staying with friends and the kids are allowed one small slice of pizza. And the friend finds it weird but doesn't think too much about it. And they go to sleep, but in the morning, they wake up and discover one of the kids has eaten more pizza. And Jen is furious, even dragging Sierra, who was still sleeping out of bed. And she makes all the kids lie on an air mattress for five hours, blindfolded with their sleep mask on and their arms down at their side. The friend would call CPS saying that on Facebook, she seems all loving and nice, but that's just for cameras. And I... The whole being blindfolded just adds another level of cruelty to it. Mm-hmm. Of They have to lay there for five hours on an air mattress and they can't even be aware of their surroundings. Like, that is literally torture. Just treating them like fucking animals, honestly. Worse than, honestly. Treating them like animals that you would slaughter, which, I mean... <laughs> a second friend also called CPS saying... Jen ran the family like a boot camp and punched the kids for crying or laughing too loud. August of 2013, CPS would interview all kids separately. All the kids besides Devante were reserved. He was the only extroverted one. It said it said they gave almost all identical answers, claiming no abuse has ever happened. Sarah and Jen had answers for everything. Hannah was missing two front teeth since she fell on hardwood floor. One kid was autistic. One was borderline mentally retarded. They had food issues. I don't know how it works with CPS, but people are saying this is a prime example on why we need a national database for child abuse. Oh, 100%. People use to exploit that. Yeah, it seems since they moved states, there is no previous knowledge of the abuse that Sarah was found guilty of. Also, for like the first six months, these kids were in Oregon. Like, the state didn't even know they were there because they weren't in school and they weren't, like, officially homeschooled either. Mm-hmm. So, just over a year later, the Huffington Post would write about Devante and Jen on November 13, 2014. Since one of her posts on Facebook went viral about Devante being in a store and people telling him he's going to play ball one day. And Devante saying, no, he's not. And they say, sure you are. I've never seen a kid like you never play. And Jen knows it's because they're saying that because he's black. And Devante's like, no, I'm going to help the world. And that what type an, of fucking post is that? It was an inspirational that makes post. No fucking sense. That's how I know. Like, what? Yeah, it, that didn't. That was not inspirational. It sounds. It sounds like you made it up. Some random yeah. person. Look, at people are racist. People do like um, reinforce stereotypes, but a random white person inserted themselves in your business and was like, 
hey, black kid, you're going <laughs> to play basketball. You're going to play b-ball. I ain't never seen a black child like you not play the b-ball. And the black child says, no, white person, I'm going to help the world. And the white parent sees the situation unfolding and doesn't say anything except for, this would be a nice Facebook post. What? Yeah, when people ate it right up, it went viral, got her a spawn Huffington Post. I tell you, people are so easily impressed. Like, I know that the most simple things go viral and that we say wow to everything or all to everything. But, man, y'all's discernment is in the fucking gutter. (laughs) What do you mean you saw this post? And you said, I want to write about this white lady and her black baby. (laughs) That's that's exactly what it was. Like I read the article. You can it's still up today. You can read it. It says, you know, talks about his drug being born a drug baby uh, and how he saved him pretty much. And then just eleven days later, this is when the crying photo would be seen. And immediately people are kind of torn on this photo saying, This is great, but you know, HUDs are not going to fix these issues here and saying Jen and Sarah are trying to hijack the Black Lives Matter movement. Um Two photographers of color that were there when the photo was taken say they didn't feel right about it, taking the mm-hmm. photo because mm-hmm. it was obvious it was staged by Jen. Yes. And Jen is saying people are just attacking them because they're a lesbian and because they're raising black kids. <laughs> oh, shit. I hate when the oppressed groups battle each other. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I hate. Here's the thing for a split. A split second, because you know, what? when did Michael Brown die? What year? 2000, you said 2014. Um, okay, yeah, we were 20. So for a split second, they almost had me with that. But then Katrina had to go back to her blackness for a second and say, <laughs> who the fuck is holding up free hug signs at a goddamn protest? And why is a child at a goddamn protest holding the free hug sign. That makes no sense. And then out of all the places and people he could be by and interact with, this black child with the free hug sign is in front of one of these officers crying and hugging him. Oh, the whites, the I can't say what I was going to say, <laughs> but the whites was throwing parties. Yes, we got him. And it's a photo op. And he's really black. Like, uh-huh. like, and his white parents aren't in the shot, so they, they don't know that he has white parents, and this is staged. Which the white parents are irrelevant, but I just knew that no black family was taking their black child to a pro- protest with that sign and having them hug police officers. It just didn't make no sense. But I thought when I saw that photo, what was the purpose of it? And when people were like, well, you know, the purpose is to skew your mentality and to think that, you know, cops aren't bad, but it's not about saying cops are bad or not. It's about protesting this brutality case against this black man who was just killed. And they're trying to uh, cheery up the police profile, which I was like, oh, damn, Katrina. That makes sense. (laughs) Uh But, you know, this was somebody I'm just a black person who who's dealt with racial discrimination in regular settings but until Trayvon Martin and then Michael Brown and then like you know all the names we could say I was not tuned in and even with Trayvon Brown we were still in high school so I still wasn't like clued into these types of cases so I didn't know how I didn't know how people literally plot these these groups and organizations really plot on how to change and switch the narrative Like, I didn't even know that that would be a situation. Mm. You know, I'm just thinking, you know, they're protesting, they're marching, we're we're out there fighting. People are taking pictures to show you, they're taking videos so they can, um, this this is literally being, um, what is the word? It's coming organically. That and the fact that we're, uh, like, we're putting this into history. Like, it's being digitized so this can be in our history forever. So it can be shown and and, and all that other stuff. So the point is I'm, I'm, I'm way off the point, but it was just like, I, I was very much uh, not clued into the politics of these things until such photos and things after that we would see at protests. Yeah. And it's, 
the politics here is just Jen wanting to make herself seem like, oh, look at me. And then my my kids changing the world. Yeah. And then Jen's agenda actually ends up helping the other side's agenda at the same time. Yeah. You know, she doesn't really care about that agenda, but it's all if it helps her, she if it helps her look good, she's all for it. So the family, if somebody's attacking her, she's like, Oh, they don't like us because we're gay and white. But that's yeah, not, like they're missing the point. She's going to use that as her defense of anything you say doesn't really matter because she's gay. See, that's the only reason you're attacking her. Yeah. If that if I what I said made sense, I hope I did. I I, I tried to come around to the point. <laughs> I think it makes sense. <laughs> um, the family is also interviewed on the news in 2016 at a Bernie Sanders rally holding their signs. <laughs> so, again, like I said, they are not famous in the traditional sense, but they pop up here and there doing quote unquote good things. But behind the scenes, all this stuff is happening. Yeah. Now, on September 2017, they are living in Washington. Hannah is now 15, and she flees from a second-story window, going to a neighbor's house, pleading with them to hide her. They take her in, and she tells them Jen and Sarah are racist, and they abuse her and withhold her food from her. And they start to hear the family calling her name, looking for her, and Hannah hides behind a bed, and Hannah begs the neighbor, Dana, to not let them in. So Dana goes out and talks to Jen, and Jen tells her Hannah comes from a troubled home and has some mental issues, and Dana believes them and lets Jen come in and talk to Hannah. Oh. And yeah. Hannah would willingly leave with Jen, apologizing. And the next morning, they came over to apologizing yeah. to apologize, saying she was just going through a lot. When Dana asks if she could talk to Hannah alone, Jen says, "No, we do everything together as a family." Well, Dana, shut your dumb ass up. You already fucked up. You should have been called somebody. And she wasn't going to. Dana's father, I believe, was visiting his daughter. And he does end up calling CPS. He says he feels like Hannah was being abused. And Dana says Jen was just very convincing. I, I, no. (laughs) I hate that I gotta be this person. But it's like... (laughs) These was white people who believed a white person. Ain't no way. Ain't no fucking way a child can be that not convincing to. I don't. The child was running away, scared out of her mind. By Maybe not scared out of your mind. She didn't say those words, but scared by your account. Saying that these white women were racist to this black child, they starve her, uh, abuse her, and all that. She's saying this to you. She's hiding because she hears them calling for her. And in return, you don't try to secure the child, really. You don't even call a police officer to mediate the situation, DCS to be aware of the situation. You go out there and talk to the lady and say, okay, yeah, your child's in here. Why don't you take her? Just say that you didn't give a fuck about the child, that you were uh, not sympathetic to the situation because the child gives you any and all indications that something is wrong. They are not healthy. They are not safe. And then this woman feeds you a whole bunch of short term baloney saying that this girl is lying. And you believed her. And then you got the nerve the next day when you get this weird dog and pony show of oh apologies apologies i was out of my mind she's she's just this and that and you know she's just this sorry this sorry child dealing with all these issues now you want to say can i talk to her alone what sense does that make you should have been called the day when she came in when she left and then right now yeah at least dana's father did something but still i'm seeing that they didn't do anything the whole fact that she had to jump from a two-story window like oh my god i forgot that Yeah, that's just not something she's going to do just because she's in a bad mood. And, I mean, you said it kind of funny, but of whites believing whites, that's exactly what it has to be. Like, we have to put a, you know, our own biases aside. Like, she saw a white woman and believed her over this black child who was clearly fearing of going back with her. Like, she's hiding behind a bed to get away from her. Yeah, all she did was tell you that she was a quote-unquote drug baby. And that she had all these mental issues, and you were like, "That explains yep. it." 
that's it. Like, uh-huh. man, man. And this child, oh, it's, it honestly, I'm getting goosebumps because it honestly breaks my heart. This child literally did everything to try to save herself. The one time where I feel like besides the the police interviews because honestly the police and the police people are fucking dumb too all the children given the exact same story exact same answers that's not sending up any red flags okay what the fuck ever but this child jumping out fearing for her life she's literally killing herself to to save herself and she's getting pushed right back into the lion's den how crushing is that can you even recover what little spirit that you have after that, like you, 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 you literally went all in and it still did not help. You still were not believed. You still were taken away. It's just not fucking fair. It's, it's, this is a fucking tragic ass story. I fucking hate it. And what's so horrible is all these kids were being abused, but Mm -hmm. Hannah has come out at least three times now asking for help. You know, she was the one, that kept in in school, noticing the bruises and stuff. So it's like every time she asks for help, she gets turned away. Nothing happens, and it's like she still asks because she she wants that hope of getting help, and she never got it. Exactly, exactly. It's not fair. March fifteenth, two thousand eighteen. Devonte starts going to the neighbor's house, Dana's house, and asking for food, saying there is no food at his house. He also asked Dana to put non-perishable food near the fence so he could share it with his siblings. And the, in this part of the documentary, like, Dana does help, but she's kind of stupid because she's like, why gave him, like, 30, 40 tortillas the other day? Like, why does he need so much food? It's like, he's telling you he doesn't have Yeah, what the what? fuck's not clicking, Dana? Get your ass to a goddamn school. Fucking idiot. So he tells her his parents are withholding food. And while Sarah used to let them eat, she is now going along with it. And between March... I'm just sorry. I'm sorry. Dana had the incident with Hannah. And now she's having Devante ask for food. What the fuck? Bitch. Throw her ass in jail, too. Why the fuck she on a documentary? Fuck her. So Document me beating her ass. (laughs) Sorry. I'm so upset. Ugh. Between March 15th to March 23rd, he is going over there asking for food two or three times a day. And March 23rd, Dana does call the police again to report what is going on. And the Hart's fridge is filled with food and there is fruit on the table that's easy to access. So CPS can't really do anything at this point. March 23rd, 2018, Sarah is a manager at Kohl's and and texted in saying she won't be there since she's not feeling well. I believe that was a Friday on Monday. No one has heard from Sarah. So a co-worker named Cheryl Hart, no relation to the other Hearts, call in a welfare check. And she gets a call back from a deputy asking if she's aware that Sarah was not feeding her children. This shocked Cheryl, but she's not the only one who called in a welfare check. A social worker had left her card at the door on Friday. And when when she returned on Monday, her card was still there leading her to believe the family was no longer there. Then the hearts are discovered on March 26th at the bottom of the cliff. April 7th, the body of Sierra was found having washed ashore. April 13th, 2018, the toxicology reports come back showing Jen, the driver, had a blood alcohol limit of 0.102. Sarah and the children had high doses of Benadryl in their system. The car also had a lot of Benadryl left over in it, which it looked like a lot in the documentary. And it is determined that it was intentional since no skid marks were at the scene. No body had seatbelts on, and it seemed like Jen stopped the car 70 feet from the edge and then accelerated to 90 miles per hour before going over the edge, killing all passengers. Five weeks after the crash, Pants, a shoe, and a sock come to shore. Inside is a bone that is determined through DNA testing to be Hannah's. And even though Devante's body has never been found, he is also presumed dead. And it's truly a horrific story that, like, can't even be explained. Uh, 
why it happened, why it couldn't have been stopped. Yes, it's those children unfortunately just never stood a chance once they got into those those women's hands. They were marked for death, unfortunately. And then when there were times where they could have been rescued almost as like every adult in their vicinity felt them in every single way. People did try, but they didn't try hard enough, honestly. And they must have felt finally the clamps coming in and took the coward's way out, especially by medicating themselves and them kids before they did that fucking disgusting ass shit. I mean, they they knew what type of people they were. That's why they did it. They knew that they were the bottom of the barrel scum of the fucking earth. And this is how they would get out of it. They knew. They knew what type of people they were. And that's why they subjected themselves and, unfortunately, those children to that death. It's so heartbreaking just hearing about it. And that's why... Like anytime that photo gets shared now of him hugging the officer during like anytime police brutality gets up and everybody's yeah. just like, oh, just hug. Like, just why can't you guys be like this photo? It's like that boy was being abused. Like he was forced to take that photo. It wasn't just his idea to go take that photo. Mm-hmm. Or that dumbass photo with all of them all together in the blue fucking shirts. Fucking hate that. Yeah. Like there's. You don't really see it a lot anymore, but you used to see kind of their photos floating around kind of, of, you know, like inspirational. And it's like, it's so messed up. And the thing is, is that they, they're, they're fucking terrible. Like you making, you're making so many people look bad. You're looking, making adoptive parents look bad. You're making white adoptive parents of other children who are not their race look bad. You're making the L, the L in the LGBT community look <laughs> terrible right now. I, I just, I, and they were just so selfish, honestly, just so selfish. And I don't know what the reason was. I, they, I've, obviously they had uh, deep mental problems, but the way that they worked once, especially once they got together, like I, I assume one of them had to be very passive while the other one was very dominant. Which I thought, um, yeah, Jen was the dominant. Yeah, because Sarah was taking the fall for everything. So, but um, like they found their person in each other, their literal other sick, twisted person, and just started doing heinous things to children. But I mean, one of the. And it shows you also, besides Jen and Sarah, the United States as a whole does not care about children. They do not. I mean, you can talk about what's happening recently with the mass shootings, which, of course, they don't care that because it's all about guns and guns make money and all this. But they're not having a national database for like child uh, for like uh, these child abuse cases and parents who go in and out of the courts. Um, you know, them not reforming the school system as well as educating teachers and children on these signs of abuse, control, and manipulation. Just uh, just so many things that they just fail children, period, in the United States, but uh, especially adoptive foster children. They really get the short end of the stick. Yeah. Well, I struggle with which doesn't even really matter is did these women go into it with like good intention ever or was it always about the money like was it it had to be from the first child the first teenager they never it, it was always like them being so put upon for taking care of somebody yeah they they framed that little girl that that teenager as like a garbage eating ungrateful child that's how they framed her. And that was their first foster child. So that was how they got. That's that's the foot they're getting off on. So that tells you everything about their intentions. They never got better. It, 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 it was slowly a low bar and then they just descended into hell. They never set a high bar of themselves uh, regarding the children that they took in in their care. They never did. 
Um, I do want to say that I got most of my information from, which I don't know if they're this like affiliated with each other, but there was a podcast called Broken Hearts and the Discovery documentary called Broken Hearts. But I don't know; they're just kind of presented differently, so I don't know if they're the same one or if it's just kind of like a catchy name. Uh-huh. And also the New York Times. Um, but we do like to end every episode on a positive note with some form of media we want to talk about, um, explore shit on. You said you know yours, so do you want to go first? Oh, no, not you actually making me go first. <laughs> okay, let's see, let's see. <clears throat> All right, so I was going through my Apple Music. No, that's not how this started. No. I was watching Shrek. Oh my goodness. So I was watching Shrek recently and um, we get to the wedding scene. They're prepping for Fiona to marry Lord Farquaad. What song is playing? Hallelujah. The Rufus Wainwright version. version. I think I said it right. And I love that version. I was listening to it and I was like, oh, this is such a great song. But I said, ain't there like a thousand and one hallelujah covers? Let's investigate that. And so I set off on the rigorous mission of finding my favorite hallelujah cover. Now, just for. Is Rufus the original? No. Oh. The original composer is Leonard Cohen. Skinner. (laughs) I can't understand. That's who originally wrote hallelujah. Um, So we have his version. We have Leonard Cole. Is that what you said? Cohen. Cohen. Oh, Cohen. Now, see, now you got me. Now you're fucking me up. Hold on. <laughs> Let me make sure I'm saying this man's name right. I, I didn't know. And, did you? Did you? I really don't know. I thought it was Rufus. It is Cohen. Cohen. Yeah, Cohen. Yeah, that's how you say it. So anyway, so the ones I looked at to uh, see which ones I liked was Leonard's version, Rufus's version, uh, Carrie Underwood and John Legend's version, uh-huh. Jennifer Hudson and Tori Kelly's version, and Jeff Buckley's version. And to be honest, I like them all. Leonard's is uh, different because he's the original. So um, his is in a slightly different style, which I thought was interesting because I never knew that the original Hallelujah was sung like that. So I learned something new. I would listen to that, but not in the same style as the other ones but um i came to find that my favorite one was jeff buckley's which was great and sad for one reason and one reason only that it was on his uh debut album and that unfortunately jeff died um tragically only like a few years into his career right after he started you know popping up so i thought it was really sad that (laughs) He has this most, to me, the most beautiful cover of Hallelujah. I like the way he breaks it down. I like the way his voice sounds. But that he's not even no longer, he's no longer with us. And we only got one true album out of him before he left this world. So I thought that was sad, but I thought it was just one of those things that ties into, of course, the song being called Hallelujah. I thought it's kind of like a sucky end, but kind of perfect at the same time same time so that's it i love hallelujah so i definitely have to listen to the original because i always thought it was rufus yes listen to the original listen to jeff's tell me how you feel about him when you first heard it as a kid the song did you think it was shrek singing did you say what (laughs) did i think shrek was singing hallelujah would you like when you were a kid when you first heard it no Oh, I did. <laughs> I thought everyone did. <laughs> now I'm trying to picture Mike Myers singing "Hallelujah." Sad, beautiful song. You got a, you got a better uh, cheery up me. Oh, I can do another bonus. Look. Do a bonus. Um, so I was watching a little mini clip of Miley Cyrus, and she was talking about how uh, her label didn't pay for a video. Uh, or any promotion of her song See You Again, because they didn't think it was going to be a hit. And I said, those motherfucking bastards. Because <laughs> I ain't going to lie. 
top five Miley songs is definitely See You Again. I don't know if I know that one. Oh, it's her best friend Leslie said she's just being Miley. How dare you? You don't know about Leslie? Mm-mm. Yeah. See You Again is one of her like first hits. Like her first Disney hits uh, that isn't tied to Hannah Montana. Uh, but it's was- way before um, I Can't Be Tamed. So just to give you a little timeline. Yeah, I saw I that was before my time. Yeah. But yeah, I love me some see you again. Um, like Miley said, the label didn't believe, but the fans made it happen. <laughs> so yeah, that's a little bit more cheery media because I've been listening to that again too. So see you again and hallelujah. Been on repeat. Can't wait to see my end of the year stats. Oh, I am not ready for my <laughs> Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. That's Taylor why Swift. I just I'm afraid it's gonna be all Taylor, which I love, but it's not very diversified. Yeah, El, is, is is Karma Remix on the list that you've been lighting that one up on the streams? Sometimes. Stop lying. That shit is terrible. Coming in advance of the house. Coming to my jam in the mouth. Coming in the mouse in the house. <laughs> I just know. That my goal this year was to get some Spanish songs on there, and I don't think it's going to happen. I've you know what? Time. The thing is, is that you have to speak to your people about that. <laughs> <laughs> you the one who got to go back to your hood and talk about that one. <laughs> I'm going to have my my Mary J's and my Anita Bakers. They're going to be on my list. <laughs> I just keep looking at the people I'm, look, I'm listening to. And you know that Sophia Vidara trope from Modern Family? It's always that clip that's played where it's like, I'm turning into a white woman. <laughs> oh, <like>, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I always think about that when it's like, you know, my, it's playing on Spotify. I'm like, damn. Um, but for my media, okay. People don't hate this media, but I really love it. Ooh. My media is the podcast, Just Trish, with Trisha Paytas. It is so good. When will you people learn? It's so good. I love it. It is so refreshing. It's so fun. And it just puts me in a good mood. I mean, you're determined to go down with the ship. So you go ahead and love you you, you some Trisha P. <laughs> go ahead. That, that's your girl. I can't even say you haven't abandoned her. So Not yet. Yeah. Her. Trash ass. <clears throat> I'm sorry. <laughs> but, you know, we have, we like what we like. We like, and we can't help it. <laughs> you were born this way. <laughs> <laughs> we were born this way. You can't, you can't choose who you love. My goal for this break was to read four books. And I got through one and a half, so I did not meet my goal. But the- mm, Four is a lot to me, shit. We're, we were- you said in the time that we were gone? Yeah. You're a fast reader, so I know why you picked that goal. But for me, bitch, I, maybe I could have said two. Yeah, I should have said two more realistic. I should have. I, I would have got done with two if I did not get sick, I feel like. Probably. Fucking immune system. Tell your immune system to tighten up. I know. I don't know. Get, get it together. You should be. You got garlic pills? You be taking garlic pills? No, I just like. But. Light an incense and like <laughs> no do it in circles. Vapor rub. <laughs> no vapor rub, nothing. No, I do have Vicks. I have Vicks. Uh, I always say, have Vicks. This uh, chicken noodle soup with a soda <laughs> on the side. You gotta, you gotta try. Yes. Um, but I don't think I have another media. That was it. <clears throat> Cardi B and Megan came out with a song. I oh, was it out already? Yes. I love Isn't Cardi it? B and Megan so much. I'm going to reserve my opinion <gasps> for another week until I get into the groove. It's not WAP Part 2. Here's my problem. I really liked WAP. I like, did too. I, I was at the peak of my Cardi Stan level when WAP came out. I was singing that song so many places. I'm like, oh, God, stop that. Yeah. So I will say Bongos isn't bad. The video is beautiful. Very bright colors. Uh, love them together. The song, if I had to give it a grade on first listen, C plus maybe. 
Oh. WAP, it was an A. A. But like I said, it has, to, it has to grow on me because I'm not sure. Here's I like Megan's part a lot. I'm not really sure about Cardi's part. Huh. And I love Cardi. Yeah, I felt like it would be the opposite. I feel like. I, I think WAP, I, I think it's going to be hard for them to top WAP because it just came out at such a time. But Bongos is good. I, I don't know how it's going to play. But like I said, I've only listened to it twice. So I got to see if it's good. If it's a grower, if it's a, a grower or a shower. Have you listened to Doja's Demons? Doja! <laughs> That's the first time I did not say it like that. <laughs> I was waiting for you. Uh, I've only listened to... <laughs> The first part, when somebody snipped it, they they stitched it with Northwest's. What are those? These are clothes, which is <laughs> one of my favorite videos on earth because <laughs> North really thought she was killing it, and apparently she was because Kim crying takes me out every time. <laughs> but yeah, because the beginning does sound like that little those first few bars, bars sound like that cadence. But I've only listened to like a minute of it. It seems cool. I'm still, unfortunately, stuck on Paint the Town Red. Mm, I'm over that. I wanna. I haven't seen it yet because every time I remember to walk, like to look at the video or something, it's always when I'm stoned. I'm like, I, I can't watch that when I'm stoned. You can't watch that that demon. Yeah, <laughs> like it doesn't bother me normally, but when stoned, it was just like make me. You'd be scared. Yeah, you're like a motherfucker. I'm like, what was that? <laughs> Well, I'm gonna check it out one of these days. Like I said, I'm not really checking for Doja. Like I'm hearing this stuff just because we're talking about her. Before this, I wasn't all the way clued in. So now I feel like I'll be listening to her stuff because I'm like, well, she wasn't saying fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> but I still not like all. I'm not all the way with her because I still don't really fuck with her choices. But who am I? Who the fuck am I? She's dating a predator. Yeah, she apparently let me not even but you heard the line in the song. Um, but that is our episode. Hopefully, our media was just a palate cleanser you needed after this heavy episode. Bitch, heavy like me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, our star email, which is save your sorry at gmail.com in the description, as well as our Instagram, which is just save your sorry. And we'll post pictures there on the episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. Um, it's been wonderful. Bye. See ya.